Welcome everyone. This is the Four of a Kind podcast and joining me today is Bernie Altman. Bernie is with the Wounded Heroes Hunting Camp and he is going to talk a little bit today about what it is and what they do for our veterans. So Bernie, welcome. Brandon, good evening. Thank you for having us on your show. Absolutely, my man. Thank you for uh, for everything you do and uh, for your service and your sacrifice and uh, yeah, what you do for our military and veterans. I appreciate that. Thank yeah. you so much. So we're going to pretty much talk a little bit today uh, with Bernie, um, as we had mentioned in our in our last podcast. Kind of, uh, we've kind of set up a partnership about you know helping them and doing what they're do- they're doing um, with, uh, the veterans and military cause, uh, four of kinds definitely strong on that. Um, and then as well as them kind of showing their support for us. So, um, I'm going to talk to Bernie a little bit here and Bernie, what exactly is the, uh, wounded heroes hunting camp? Great question. Um, wounded heroes hunting camp, and we, uh, call it WHHC for short, uh, is an all volunteer 501c3 a nonprofit organization, and we're dedicated to helping wounded combat veterans heal. Uh, we accomplish our mission by getting our wounded heroes outdoors, hunting and fishing, and enabling them to do things they love to do. Awesome, awesome. And how did that? Uh, how did that all get started? Uh, wounded Heroes Hunting Camp was founded in 2012. Okay. By two gentlemen, Jeremy Harbaugh and Zachary Bauer. Uh, Jeremy is a commissioned officer in the United States Marine Corps, and Zachary is an avid outdoorsman. Uh, they both grew up hunting and fishing together, and they wanted to give back to our wounded service members. Uh, they also believe that our wounded heroes can find a passion for the outdoors that will help them overcome their injuries by uniting them with fellow service members who understand their struggles. Okay. And um, how long did you, how long have y'all been doing this? The organization was founded in 2012 and we've been taking our heroes on adventures starting in 2016. Okay. Um, How many people have y'all helped? Uh. So far, up to date, we have taken 447 veterans on adventures. Wow. That's awesome. I bet there's some stories to tell in that. I can imagine. I'm sure there is. Uh, uh, now, you're talking about, uh, obviously, veterans, um, and, and it's kind of in the name with the Wounded Heroes Hunting Camp. Um, what, what exactly qualifies someone to go on a, on a trip? Okay. Uh, basically, only three things. One, he or she had to serve under honorable conditions. Uh, the second thing is they had to serve in a combat theater. And the third thing is a service connection for an injury, disease, or a disability as a result of their time in service. Okay. I got you. And they can be active or, re- or retired or just a veteran. Okay. Um, now what's the, what's the process like is from start to finish? Like, uh, you know, when you get, when you get a veteran in that's, uh, that's wanting to go on a trip, what, what is, how does all that un- unravel? Okay. Well, we try to make it as easy as possible. So the first step is all they have to do is go to our website, um, which is whhc.org. 
When they get on our website at the very, very top, they will see a link that says apply for an adventure. All they do is go to that link, fill everything out. They submit that. That uh, record is on our file permanently. We also have a tab on that website that says upcoming events. So we tell that person or that person just goes to that tab, clicks on it, and it'll show all our upcoming events. Under each event, if they're interested in going, they would apply for that event. And we tell the people you can apply for more than one event. If you want to apply for all of them, that's perfectly okay. So it's pretty simple mm-hmm. to get signed up. I got you. And then, and then when they're uh, once they get signed up, and now how are they? How are they chosen? Does everyone get chosen? Ah, uh, no. Unfortunately, I wish we could take mm-hmm. everyone, uh, but you know we have a budget. Of course, everything is done by donations, and that's where the donations so, come in. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. But uh, eventually, yes, we will try to get everyone who signs up on an adventure. I got you. Yeah, that that would be awesome. Um, and then, so you, once you get them uh, in, and and then you you get your guys. Uh, do y'all bring them to? Do y'all have like a home a home location, or is there like the headquarters somewhere? Uh, no, no. Um, we go all over the United States on hunting and fishing trips. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing about our organization, I think we're going to talk about that a little bit later, exactly what we do for the veterans. Mm-hmm. But we don't have like a main office. Uh, we fly them to where the event's going to be taking place. I got you. Yeah. Okay. And then um, what, what is it, what's some things that people can do that want to help? Okay, great question. Everything we do is strictly by donations. Um, A person can go to our website to make a donation. It can be done several different ways. Uh, There is a link for donations where a person can donate one time, make a monthly donation, quarterly or annually for any amount. Uh, Other than monetary donations, We're always looking for landowners or outfitters to donate a hunt or a fishing trip for our veterans. Um, Another way people can help us, we also uh, can use equipment associated with hunting and fishing. Um, All donations are tax deductible. uh, And we also send out documentation showing the amount of the donation for tax purposes that that donor can use. I got you. And you and you said uh, so people can donate um, material wise. What was that? Yes, anything, any type of equipment that has anything equipment, to do with hunting yeah. and fishing. I got you. Like we've had, we've had people donate uh, bows, crossbows, um, camping equipment. You know, fishing rods and reels because we do supply equipment to the veteran. If they don't bring or have their own, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Um, I think you'd covered it earlier. Uh, how many how many states have y'all hunted in? Oh wow! Okay, I made a list for you. Okay, um, we've had events held in Delaware, 
Ohio, Illinois, Maryland, Montana, Pennsylvania, Washington, Texas, Oregon, New York, Kentucky, Maine, New Mexico, and even Canada. Wow. Well, it sounds like hopefully here soon uh, we can bring it to North Carolina. That, so that, would, that would be great. Yeah. That would be great. That's where, that's where uh, One other at. thing to mention is, you know, on our events, uh, we unite our wounded heroes with fellow wounded veterans and provide them with the tools they need to enjoy the outdoors. We also, we currently own two action track chairs that enable our heroes to enjoy the outdoors with almost no limitations. Wow, that's awesome. So the they've got the the tracks on them and everything, so they can move around, kind of yes. uh, stealth and then also uh, easily. That's that's cool. Yep. Um, yep. What's the uh, what's y'all's overall goal at the at the to kind of wrap up um, this about the the wounded heroes? Uh, what's what's the overall goal with uh, you know since you've started and then now where do you see this going? Okay. Um... Each month, we receive an average of 20 to 30 applications from wounded heroes seeking our help. Wow, that's a lot. Uh, this number has risen from the average of four to six applicants per month when we first started. Mm. Our outreach is accomplished by word of mouth and indicates that our heroes truly believe and are impacted by our mission. Each year, we are able to take more wounded heroes on events, which are all made possible by our donors. Our overall goal is to help as many hero veterans as possible. That's awesome. Um, yeah, that I, it definitely caught my, caught my eye for sure, uh, just given the fact that uh, being able to take a wounded veteran on a hunt is that's special. And um, for it to be completely paid for as – as well as transportation is, is awesome as well. Um, I think it's awesome what you guys are doing and, um, hopefully we can, we can kind of help, um, gear people towards your direction as best we can. And, uh, maybe one day, kind of like we had talked the other day, maybe one day we, uh, we take some guys hunting as well, uh, get to meet them and, and learn about them, them as people. And that would be awesome because anybody that served for, uh, for our country and, kept us safe is is uh dear near and dear to our heart so that's that's yes, sir. Uh, yes, we sir. definitely appreciate that so well that was good one uh, other thing i one other thing i didn't mention um you know there are several organizations similar to ours mm -hmm. and um our organization we pay for everything for that wounded hero um in other words, we even buy their airline ticket. We fly them to wherever the event is taking place. Lodging is taken care of. All meals are taken care of. Uh, not one penny cost to the veteran. We take care of it all. That's awesome. And once again, this is all done by donations. Donations, yeah. So, guys, we, uh, we've got a little link in, in our... Um instagram as well as um on spotify where we can uh it sends you a direct link to their page and you can donate through through us so just make sure when you when you do go on there and donate that you leave somewhere saying that um you heard from it from four of a kind 
and um, that way we can all keep uh, keep everything going for them and and um, show our appreciation. So that's a that's a cool little uh, organization they got there. And um, Bernie, I'm gonna switch these things over to you, uh, and we'll chat up a little bit. Um, so you were a Vietnam vet. Um, where are you, where are you from? Well, I'm sure you and all your listeners can tell by my accent. <laughs> I'm a, I'm originally from uh, Brooklyn, New York, born and raised. I'd have never guessed that. Okay, <laughs> no, um, I lived there uh, until the age of 22. Um, then I bought my first home in Times River, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So I'm originally from New York, New Jersey. I got you. Uh, now I re- I reside in Florida. I've been in Florida now for like twenty eight years. You so like now Florida is my home. So you like Florida better than uh than up north. Well, I you know <laughs> the only thing I miss is the food. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, but I don't miss the cold weather. I mean, I used to look forward to the cold weather because when I was younger, because I'm an avid hunter. Right. And hunting season, you know, is in the winter. Uh, but I don't miss it. I'm used to the warm weather. I got you. Um, now, and how, how old were you when you joined the military? Oh, wow. Okay. So I joined right out of high school. I was 17 and a half years old. I had to get parents' consent. My mom was very reluctant because this was right in the height of the Vietnam War. But I went to trade school so to be an electrician. So I wasn't going to college. And, of course, I would have got drafted almost right away. So I decided, well, let me just go ahead and join. So I, I joined when I was 17 and a half. I got you. Um, and where were you deployed to? Well, after basic training, which I took in Texas, um, my first duty station was in sunny California. And I'll tell you, I had the time of my life. I was 18 years old. Um, I, I was an electrician. And it was like having a regular job, you know. Yeah. Um, I worked Monday through Friday, eight hours a day. Occasionally, we'd have to do a parade on a weekend or whatnot. But other than that, on the weekends, me and my buddies, we'd go down to Long Beach, Santa Monica. had the time of my life. Uh, But that didn't last very long. Okay. Uh, Then I got orders to go to Vietnam. And that's a story in itself. Would you like to hear that story? Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm all for stories on here. You just let let her roll. Okay, so... Um, one day, me and my partner, who was a, uh, also in the military, uh, he was a native Hawaiian. His last name was Ross, R-O-S-S. So we were working together, and it was lunchtime. So we hopped into the government truck, and we used to take turns driving the, the truck. Like you would drive in the morning, I'd drive in the afternoon. And both of us were stationed there for almost a, uh, about a year. Uh, so we walk in to our shop at lunchtime, and our boss, who was a civilian, his name was Mr. Talley, as soon as me and Ross walked in, he said to us, hey, you guys need to go to the orderly rooms. 
So I asked, uh, why? He goes, well, you both have orders. I go, oh, okay. So me and Ross looked at each other. So uh, I wasn't shy. I asked Mr. Talley, Can you, do you know where we're going? And he was kind of hesitant, didn't want to tell me, you know. But then I gave him that little puppy look, and he said, well, he said, Altman, he says, uh, which is me. They used to call us by our last name. Yeah. He says, Altman, he says, you're going to Thailand. And he goes, Ross, he, he says, you got Vietnam. So when Ross heard Vietnam, you know, he got a little upset. Yeah. So I, I tapped him on the shoulder and I says, hey, Ross, give me the keys. I'll drive to the orderly room because he was driving that morning. And on the way to the orderly room, I'm trying to cheer him up. You know, I tell him, hey, man, don't worry. You know, I mean, you'll be fine. You'll take a 30 day leave before you go. 12 months will be home before you know it. So we walk into the orderly room. And uh, the desk sergeant there guess, uh, says, oh, I guess you fellas heard you both have orders. I, I go, yes. So now he's looking at the two papers. He goes, Altman, here's yours. He hands me mine. And he goes, Ross, here's yours. And I take a look at my orders, and it says, Sergeant Bernard Altman, 3rd Combat Support Group, Benoit Air Base, Republic of Vietnam. I go, huh? <laughs> what happened was... Mr. Talley got me and Ross mixed. I wound up going to Vietnam, and Ross went to Thailand. So what happens now? Ross taps me on my shoulder. He says, Bernie, give me the keys. I'll drive us back to work. He says to me, like you told me, don't worry. You'll go home yeah, for 30 don't days. Worry, yeah. You'll be fine. The, so the table's turned. Yeah. The tables yes, turned sir. a little bit. Oh, uh, yes, sir. How was it from there? Once you, once you got, uh, once it, once you well, got. There was over no there. picnic. It was, Vietnam was no picnic. Picnic, mm. okay. Mm. Um, I had it fairly easy compared to guys that were out in the bush every day. Right. But uh, Benoit, where I was stationed, uh, we nicknamed it Rocket Alley. We got mortars and rocket attacks almost every day. Sappers, you know, it was, it was no picnic. Right. And, and how long were you there? One year. One year. Now, exactly, I think, kind of flipping back over, what role do you have in uh, in uh, the Wounded, Her Wounded Heroes hunting camp? Okay, I'm the fundraising slash public relations officer. And how I got involved with this organization is I applied to go on an adventure. Oh, and wow. I was, yeah. Yeah, it was a turkey hunt in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And I had the time of my life, you know, and um, being retired, I have a lot of free time on my hands, you know, uh -huh. and the organization definitely, definitely can use help. And um, being that I was always related to hunting because I used to own an archery pro shop. Uh, so I'm real good when it comes to uh, knowing people in that industry. Yeah. So they gave me the position of the being the fundraising and public relations officer. Oh wow! So anytime people inquire about uh, coming on, you're you're the one they talk to. Exactly right. I got you. Um, all all the emails or questions uh, come directly to me, and I try to answer them the same day. Yeah. Sometimes How within minutes. No, I, yeah, because I think you'd got back with me pretty quick. Um, 
How was that turkey hunt? You're you going your turkey hunt with uh, the wounded heroes uh, hunting camp? Oh, it was great. I harvested a nice turkey, getting it mounted. Yeah, and it was fantastic. Had a had a great time. Um, morning was it? Morning evening hunt or which one was it? Morning, morning. morning. How did that? How did that uh, morning ro- uh, unravel for you? Okay, well, the, I had a really nice and good guide. This my guide. An expert on turkey calling and knowing about turkey hunting. I've only been turkey hunting a couple of times, and mm-hmm. I've always been successful. But this young fella, expert, and he lives right in that area. Uh, so the first day, uh, we went out hunting, and uh, we saw a bunch of hens, but no no gobblers, nothing to shoot at. Um, the second day, we went to a different spot because we were able to see where the turkeys were roosting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and he knows this area extremely well. So um, we went to this one spot, and he told me we were hunting out of a ground blind. And he told me these turkeys are going to come down to our left. We'll, we'll probably hear them coming down off the roost, and they're going to come right to, by us because we set up like three decoys. And that's exactly what took place. Uh, when it got light, shortly thereafter, real first thing in the morning, here they come. Um, eight turkeys, two big gobblers, and I picked the biggest one and popped him. That was the end of that. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and how did y'all stay for uh, a while? That was that like a weekend kind of hunt or? Um, that was uh, 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 was a three or four three or four days. I think it was a three or four day hunt. And where did you and, say that um, was? I think it was a three or four day hunt. No, where, I don't remember. Was where was this? This was in uh, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, got you. Yes, got you. Um, now, are you you preferred uh, deer hunting or turkey hunting? Um, deer hunting's always been my thing. Has it? Yeah, that's. Uh, have you got any any uh, nice trophies on your wall? Oh, I most certainly do. <laughs> do you? Um, oh yeah, I I've been hunting my whole life. You yeah. know, uh, archery happens to be my expertise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I owned an archery pro shop for seven years. I shot competition here in Florida. Uh, as a matter of fact, here in Florida, I have seven state championships and three regional championships in archery. Dang, Bernie, that's something to be um, proud of right there. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, as I got older, you know, I'm going back now about uh, about 15 years ago. Um, I used to have perfect eyesight. I mean, better than 2020. I mean, I could find a needle in a haystack. Yeah. And then one day I came home from my archery shop and I went to read something. And all of a sudden, it was like a little blurry. And that's crystal sharp clear. And this was right after I stopped competing in archery. And I stopped competing because it was no it wasn't fun no more, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, to win all the time, you know, now I said, hey, it's time for someone else. Yeah. And just when I stopped competing, like I say, maybe it's coincidental or whatnot, then I started ha- having to wear glasses, you know? Mm-hmm. And that where were where were these uh, archery tur- uh, archery tournaments taking place? Was it all in Florida? Yeah, all uh, all in Florida. Yes, I got you. Throughout <laughs> we, the state, you know, I used to vary different parts of Florida. Yeah, 
Yeah, we had talked a little bit about the the other day um, about playing a little bit of card games and poker. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. You you fan of, you're a fan of that, right? Well, Bernie is my name. Poker is my game. <laughs> I hear so you. I'll tell you. I'll tell you a little story that you might enjoy. Yeah. Maybe your uh, followers might enjoy. Yeah. Um, I was brought up by my mom and my grandparents. My mom and dad got divorced when I was a baby, an infant. So my grandfather was more like my father. Um, and my grandfather was a professional poker player, okay? Now, I'm going back many, many, many years ago, okay? They didn't have Texas, Texas Hold'em back in those days, okay? We played legitimate poker, five card or seven card, you know, nothing wild. You know, so when I was about five or six years old, my grandfather started teaching me how to play cards, okay, how to play poker. By the time I turned 12 years old, I'm beating him, okay? <laughs> uh, he taught me so many things that your really good poker player has no clue about, okay? And one of the things he instilled in me at the very beginning he said to me, no matter how good you are, there's always someone better. That, that is that's true. very, very true. That is very, that's true. very, very yeah. true. He also instilled in me, he gave me a little example. He said to me, when you get older, you're going to have, you're going to go out on a date. You might have a girlfriend, take her out on a date. And you know, you're going to spend a certain amount of money. You might take her out for pizza. You might take her to the movies. So you know you're going to spend a certain amount of money. Okay? So what he told me was, you got to treat playing poker the same way. Look at it as a form of entertainment. Because you're not, you're, there are going to be times you're going to lose. Okay? But it's a form of entertainment. So um, I also got into doing magic, okay? Mm -hmm. And I started reading books about my cousin got me involved in that. And then I started knowing how to manipulate cards. Of course, I would never, ever do that when I would play cards. But poker is my game. I love playing poker. Um, he taught me things that are uh, unbelievable, like the odds on drawing to all different kinds of hands. You know, knowing when to quit, when, you know, knowing what to do with all different situations. There's certain things that can't be taught that have to come natural. Uh, for instance, like if you're playing with a group of people, how how, how to read someone, you know? Right. Uh, that, you, can, you know, you can give a, a person some signs what to look for, certain things, but there's other things besides that. What would, uh, what would be some of those things that you would look for? Okay, well, first of all, you know, you're playing with more than one person, okay? So now you want to try to read as many people as you can, okay? Mm -hmm. So when someone's betting a certain way, you, you want to look at their actions, what they're doing that they that, that's not normal. That's something that they wouldn't normally be doing, okay? Whether it be looking at their cards more than once. You know, many there's so many different things to look at. Right. Their eyes. Well, you know, that, that's just one of the things, okay? There's many, many other things that he taught me. I mean, it would take me hours to go over everything that he, he, he taught me. Yeah. Um, one thing he taught me right at the beginning, he says, don't ever go to a gambling casino. 
And the reason why is every game in the casino, the odds are against you. So why would you want to bet your money knowing that the odds are way against you? (laughs) That's true, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Why would you do that? Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, you know, a lot of people play roulette, okay? Mm -hmm. Now think about the odds in that game. You have 36 (laughs) numbers and then you have zero and double zero. So yeah. you have 38 numbers. Yeah. Your chances of hitting one out is one out of 38. No, you're right. Yeah, that's true. And if you play corners, so now you got four out of 38. I mean, the odds are just crazy. Mm-hmm. So why would you want to do that? You know? Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. What, uh, what was, the what's been kind of like the, uh, most intense poker game you were in? As far as, uh, you know, people going back and forth, pot getting bigger and stuff like that. Was there any of those? Well, I'll tell you I'll tell you a story that most people will not believe, okay? I've been playing poker for over 60 years. And if someone told me this story that I'm going to tell you, I would not believe it. Okay. Because it, it sounds like a bunch of BS. Okay. But honest to God, this is a true, true story. So I'm going to go back about 15 years ago. It was my birthday, and I had a date. And I have two sons who are both married. So we all went out. They have a gambling ship here where I live in Florida called the Sun Cruise Casino, where you go out on on, on a ship. Mm-hmm. They drive out for so many miles, and then you can gamble. Yeah, that's uh, that's like international waters, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So there was me and my date, my two sons and their wives, and then two of my best friends who are both in law enforcement and their wives. So we all went out on the gambling ship, okay? So now we're there. We're waiting for the thing to open up, and... Um, my date said to me, what are you gonna what are you gonna do on here? I said, Well, this I don't play any of these games. The only thing I would play is poker. Now they did have downstairs on the ship, the lower level, they had two poker tables. And if you wanted to play poker, you had to sign up because there were only six to a table. They only would allow 12 people to play. Right. Okay. And um I said, so the only thing I would do here is I'd play poker. She goes, well, why don't you do that? I said, well, you're going to be bored. What are you going to do? She goes, I want you. I go, <laughs> I go, no, that's okay. I don't have to play. Well, she kept telling me, play, play, play. So I went ahead. I signed up, and I was able to play. So we start playing, and it was a nice game. It was uh, the stakes were a dollar and two, okay? Um, two dollar ante, a dollar until you get an open pair or, or the last card. But it was a little bit cutthroat, okay? What yeah. I mean by cutthroat, you can pass and raise, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, also, there was unlimited raises. Unlimited raising. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So a pot can, you know, with six pay- people playing, you, you know, a pot can wind up two, three, four hundred dollars a pot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we start playing. And, you know, when you play cards, you have to be patient, Right. And cards were not coming to me at all for almost an hour. And I'm down maybe, I think, about 100, 125, because I really didn't have hands that I would follow up and play with. And nobody knew how I would play, how I played, because I didn't have hands to play. 
So one hand comes along and I get a full house. So I won back the hundred and, and luckily there were two other good hands. One was a straight and one was a plush. Okay. So they, they're raising it and I'm raising, you know, and went back and forth and it was a nice hand. So not only did I win back what I'm losing, I made money in one pot. I go, this is good. Yeah. Like I say, people are not going to believe this, but this is the God's honest truth. Now, now let me ask you this. Now, when, when you, when you've got a hand like that full house, are you, do you kind of bait people in a little bit or do you, do you just kind of start throwing a good amount of chips out there to raise that pot since you know how you have a good hand? Okay. I'm trying to remember the first hand. Okay. Because I, more came. Um, Three of us were raising, okay, mm -hmm. throughout the game. The straight, uh, uh, the flush, and me, okay? And what I was doing, yes, I was baiting a little bit. I wouldn't raise a lot, okay? Right. Somebody come back and, and overraise me, but I got them at the end, though. You knew what you, you know knew. What I'm you, yeah, you knew you had something. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I, got them good at, I got them good <laughs> at the end, okay? After the seventh. Oh, and by the way, this is dealer's choice. Okay. Mm -hmm. No, no wild cards. Legitimate poker. Uh, you were able to play five card, draw, seven card. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, also seven card, no peak. If you know what that game is, and the way it was is um, the dealer. You know, the house would deal, but the deals went around the table. You know, each person would call what game they wanted. Okay. Right. Okay. So I get a full house. Very good. Now there was five. I'm sorry. There was five guys and one woman at, at, at my table. The very next hand, guess what? I get another full house. Okay. Mm -hmm. And these people think I'm bluffing, right? Because yeah. they don't know how I play. Okay. After that second full house, the woman stands up. She goes, "I want you to change the deck." She was up. She was mad. So they changed the deck. The guy sitting next to me is um, an elderly fellow, really nice guy. His name was Sam. Sam says to me, of course, in a kidding way, he says, hey, I'll bet you $100 you don't get another one. And I said, Sam, I said, I don't look that stupid. But you know what? I should have took that bet. Because <laughs> I know you guys aren't going to believe this. Now, these are consecutive hands and no wild cards. You know what the odds, something like that? It's like impossible. The next hand, I get another full house. <laughs> the lady jumps up. After the third full house, that lady jumps up out of her seat. She was getting wild, okay? I want to change the dealers and change the deck. So the two dealers, because there were two tables, they switched, okay? The meantime, my lady friend goes upstairs and tells my kids and my friends, hey, you got better go downstairs. You got to see what your dad's doing down there. He's got to be. So they all come down, but they wouldn't let him stay. Because you know what I mean? Yeah. Too many people. Right. You know, they said, oh, you, I'm sorry, but you can't stay. I'm going to cut this short. Because like I say, you're not going to believe this. I had not one, not two, not three. I had. And after the, after the second one, I'm watching the dealer. Because I know how to manipulate cards, okay? Mm -hmm. And he's dealing out of a shoe, okay? And I watched very carefully, and nothing fishy was going on. To make this long story short, I had five, like I say, 
If somebody told me this story, I would never, ever believe it. I had five full houses in consecutive row with no wild cards. I walked out of that place with uh, 40, uh, what was it, $4,600, okay? Wow. $4,600. After the fifth full house, I stood up. I says, ladies and gentlemen, it's been a real pleasure. I says, today happens to be my birthday. If you all want to go upstairs, drinks are on me. Have a wonderful evening. Well, that lady, oh, man, you're not going to give us. She starts screaming. You're not going to give us a chance to win our money back? I go, not tonight. Maybe another time. <laughs> and that's, that's, I mean, in all the years I'm playing poker, I only got a royal flush. And this is, I don't play wild cards. I don't play that game. Uh, I only got a royal flush one time. But this thing here that I'm telling you about, this was unbelievable. Now, to go along with this story, I'll tell you something real short. Um, about six months later, okay, uh, I was single, you know, and I dated a lot. Um, for some reason, these women like to go on that cruise ship. So I had a date. I says, uh, where do you want to go? He goes, let's go on a cruise ship. I go, okay. Okay. So before you get on the cruise ship, there used to be a small coffee shop. So I go and I ask, I say, hey, do you want a cup of coffee or something before we go on board? She goes, yeah, okay. So we walk in, and this place was very, very small. No tables. You had to stand up. So we walk in. We order, uh, she orders coffee. I ordered a Coke. And then a young couple walk in. I don't know if they were married or boyfriend and girlfriend. I'm going to say they were maybe in their 20s. And the place was so small, and I'm standing right next to the guy. And you couldn't help but overhear their conversations. So we were in there, and then all of a sudden, um, she says to him, she goes, uh, so what are you going to gamble on the ship? He goes, oh, I'm thinking about poker. He says, oh, by the way, he says, there was some guy on this casino who had five, four houses in a row. And I heard him say that. Okay? <laughs> so I tap him on the shoulder. I go, excuse me. I go, well, I couldn't help but overhear. I says, you know that guy that you were just talking about? He goes, no, I don't know him. I says, well, let me introduce him to you. It was me. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, I, and he was going to play poker. I said, but listen, don't worry. I'm not playing poker tonight. That's a true story. I couldn't believe that. Wow. And they still talk about it. I had a neighbor who moved out here, about who moved away about two years ago, and he was a compulsive gambler. And I used to tell him, Man, you can't win. The casino's got two things that you'll never have. They got all the time in the world and all the money in the world. You can't beat them. <laughs> yeah. But he was a compulsive gambler. He goes on a, some cruise, and he heard about me again. One of the croupiers has been there this long, so they still talk about me on that on that cruise ship. That's awesome. Yeah. That's... Yeah. Like I say, it sounds like it's a bunch of BS, but it's not. Yeah, I, I believe you. I'm. I'm sure. I mean, the odds in that is is wild. I mean, I'm. I bet you probably you probably have better odds getting struck by lightning than than that. I'm sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, not not one or two, five, five. That's crazy. Yeah. That's, that's a, crazy. That's a good night of poker. That's for sure. <laughs> that's crazy. It's it's really crazy. Did you have any? You have any more interesting poker uh, run-ins like that? Uh, well, I can tell you one other story. Um, when I left Vietnam, 
what they did back in those days, if you had less than one year of service left to go, they would discharge you right from Vietnam. I missed that by one month. So my next duty station was in Illinois, okay? Mm-hmm. And um, I got promoted to staff sergeant right when I, as soon as I came back from Vietnam, I got promoted to staff sergeant. So I was a staff sergeant in Illinois. And we were on a what they used to call a prime beef team. What is a prime beef team? It's like you have plumbers, carpenters, electricians, heavy equipment operators. Uh, you had a, a group of civil engineers. And if there was a disaster, any place in the country, we would get deployed to help out in this disaster. So they sent us to Wright-Patterson, Ohio. Uh, they used to have like drills once every six months. So they send us to Wright-Patterson, Ohio, to simulate a disaster. Now, we get there. Okay, now, mind you, I just got back from Vietnam, right? Uh-huh. So we get there, and uh, luckily I was a staff sergeant, so I had it pretty easy. Uh, we get there, and uh, the first night, uh, they say, oh, by the way, we might get attacked by the Viet Cong tonight. I go, oh, man, I don't want to play this game. I just got back from <laughs> yeah. I go to real deal, you know? Okay. But anyway, anyway, so right after uh, we did our work, Little Las Vegas opened up. In other words, a lot of guys like playing cards, blackjack, poker. Some guys were shooting craps, okay? Uh-huh. So I sat down at the, playing blackjack. And, you know, blackjack's okay, but that, that, like I say, poker's my game. Right. So I sat down for maybe half hour. It's not. I go over to one of the tables where they were playing poker, okay? So I sit down. There was a seat available. I I sit there. Sure, sit down, Sarge. Okay, I sit down. And the second hand, I take a look at the guy who's dealing, and he was a tech sergeant, uh, an E6. And I spotted him right away. He was using a marked deck of cards. Oh, wow. Okay? Yes. Now, they, these guys were playing poker for over a, uh, over a half hour, maybe 45 minutes before I came to the table. So he's dealing the cards out, and he's using a marked deck, and he I know he knows it's marked because he's looking down at each card as he's dealing it out. Okay? Mm-hmm. So he's dealing the cards out, dealing the cards out, and then all of a sudden, Son, I grab everybody's card. They start yelling at me, what the hell are you doing? What are you doing? I said, well, let me show you what I'm doing. I got the cards face down, right? I start, because I knew how the deck was marked. I I do I did magic, you know? Mm-hmm. The cards are face down, and I'm, I flip. I said, this one's a queen of hearts. I turn it over, queen of hearts. Six of spades, four of diamonds, seven of clubs. I walked up. Oh, he goes, oh, I bought those cards at the, at the PX. I go, no, you didn't. It's a marked deck. You can buy it any place for $3.50. And I walked away. And those guys took him outside. Good thing I walked away. <laughs> and they got into a little dispute. And a couple of guys got locked up that night by the MPs. Wow. <laughs> so it just goes to show you, you don't cheat when you're playing cards. Yeah. Especially with a marked yeah. deck. 
Especially with a Bernie Altman sit at the table. That's right. Yeah, you know, he, he knew right away, you know, when I grabbed them cards, he knew right away. Uh-oh. But, yeah. um... What was, uh, what was some of your uh, go-to magic tricks? Well, I still do magic. Um, I, as a matter of fact, the, the only reason I do it now is for my grandchildren. Um, mm. When I was younger, I actually... Uh, uh, how, it, how that all started was when I was living in Brooklyn, my cousin lived like a block away. And one day he calls me up. He was a year older than me. I was 12. He was 13. One day he calls me up. He goes, I'm going to the library. Do you want to go with me? And I'm not much for reading. I never was. Okay. I go, no, that's no, okay. Well, he talked me into going. So I go with him to the library and um, he gets a book. I'm sitting down. And I says, what kind of book you got there? What, what, what's it about? He goes, oh, I got a book about doing magic tricks. I go, oh, really? Magic tricks? He goes, yeah. I, I, where, where'd you get it? So he pointed me in the right direction. I got, uh, I got a book, and I started getting interested in it, okay? And I started reading up, reading books on magic. Um, then uh, there was a magic store which is still in business, I believe, to this day. They've been in business for, in Manhattan, New York City. It was called Tannins. Uh, so I asked my grandfather, you know, once I had a little bit of money saved up, if he could take me to the magic store, which I did. I was a young kid, blah, blah, blah. And they told me, hey, if you really like this, he says there's two organizations, two magic clubs. Uh, one was called the SAM, the Society of American Magicians. The other one was called the IBM, International Brotherhood of Magicians. He said, um, why don't you uh, join those clubs? Uh, the dues back then were like $5 a month. Okay, I'm going back many, many years. So I went ahead and I joined these things. They would have meetings, I think it was once a month. And I was a young kid and I met some very famous magicians. Um, I don't know if you've heard these names, but I'll pass them by you. Harry Blackstone Jr., does that name ring a bell to you at all? Maybe? Uh, it doesn't. Okay. Uh, I met him. I met a, a gentleman by the call, The Amazing Randy. He used to have, he was a mentalist. He had his own TV show years ago. Mm -hmm. um, then I met a fellow, he was called Mancini the Great. He was an escape artist, just like Houdini. And they took me under their wings and they showed me a lot. So I really got interested and started getting better and better and better. When I got older, became a teenager, like around 15, I said, you know, I could do make money doing this. So I went out, I had some business cards printed, and I mainly did kids' birthday parties, okay? Uh -huh. And for a 15-year-old, and I'm going back many, many years, I would do a 30-minute show or a one-hour show. And most of the, the parties I did were half-hour shows, but I was getting back then $50 for a half-hour show. That was a lot of money back then for a 15-year-old to make. Yeah, that is. Oh, no, I'm sorry. No, no. I'm, I take that back. I was getting $30 for a half-hour show, $50 for a one-hour show. Well, that, that still was a lot of money. Yeah. And then as I got a little bit older, older, um, I got on television. I was on Ted Max Original Amateur Hour. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then I went into the service and then, you know, that was over with. But um, 
about maybe 10 years ago, uh, I'm over with my sons and I, I showed a couple of tricks to my grandchildren and they got hooked. So from then on out, every time I visit them, I got to show them something new, you know, something new. <laughs> yeah. Something new. <laughs> and, uh, oh, yeah. Maybe next time I'll tell you uh, a short story about the best shot I ever took with my bow. Yeah, you can go ahead. I'd, I'd like to hear it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So when I had my uh, shop, my pro shop, I, uh, I also had a shooting staff. I had four guys besides myself, and all of us shot competition archery. And for them to be on my shooting staff, um, I would give them my shirt which you know to wear, which advertises my business. And in return, um, they would get anything in the archery line at dealer's course, at my course. So one day, I get a phone call from the Boy Scouts of America here in Florida. And at their main camp, they asked, they heard about us. They asked if we would possibly put on a little demonstration for the Boy Scouts. I go, absolutely. So I contacted my um, staff and I got a hold of one of the fellas. His name was Bob Harris. I says, Bob, we're going to put on a demonstration for the Boy Scouts of America. But I want to do something else. I want to do a 50-50. So what I'd like for you to do is go to the archery club and we had 3D targets. I says, and get the moose. Now, the moose 3D is, a, you know, is like a, a, the size of a moose, right? A right. big 3D target. Yeah. I says, but what I want you to do is you know, get someone to help you. I want you to put that out at a distance that makes it a really tough shot. And do not tell anyone, including myself, what the distance is where you put it out there. So that's what he went ahead and did. So how I ran that was a person would get three shots for $5. You'd pay $5, you get three shots. Whoever wins, half of the money goes to the Boy Scouts and the other half goes to the winner. It was a 50-50. And when I told the Boy Scouts that we're doing that for them, boy, oh boy, I mean, they were thrilled to death. So Bob, before everybody uh, started or, and paid their money, what Bob said, he said, okay, fellas, in the 3D target, you know, you have your 10 ring where you score a 10. He said, but the winner... He said, I put an orange sticker that's the size of a quarter in the 10 ring, but I'm not telling you where in the 10 ring. It could be upper right, upper left, lower left, lower right. It's someplace in the 10 ring. Whoever gets closest to that orange sticker will be the winner. Oh, okay. So now, you know, I mean, okay. So I wasn't going to shoot, but I figured, let me donate $5. But I go, who wants to go first? Nobody really wanted to go first. I said, I'll go. So I give Bob the $5. And, um, you know, I had, at that time, I had three bows, three of my own personal bows. Uh, my hunting bow, my 3D bow, and my target bow. So I only brought my target bow because we were doing a, a demonstration. So I get up to the shooting line, and I take a look. I go, oh, my goodness, that thing is out there. Now, I shot 
in the open class. Okay, so I used a four power scope. Um, and I had marks on my site from zero to 80 yards, because 80 yards was the furthest shot that we would take in competition, 80 yards. So I step up to the shooting line, and you know, I was a pretty good judge of distance, and I take a look and go, oh, my goodness, that thing is way past 80 yards, and I don't even have marks on my bow, on my sights. <laughs> yeah. Okay, now I'm shooting arrows back then. They were called ACEs, made by Easton. That's what the Olympic shooters would use. These arrows, one of the most expensive ones out there, dealer cost for 12 raw shafts, no knocks, no insert, at that time was $220 a dozen. Okay? Wow. I just wanted to hit that target. I didn't want to lose a $30 arrow. Yeah. Okay? So now I'm trying to calculate, okay, what's the distance? So first I pick out 40 yards. Then I pick out 80 yards. And now I'm looking to see how much past 80 yards. So now I go 80, I go to 100. I go, man, oh, man. I calculated, I guessed that that target was about 120 yards away. Okay? 120 yards. And I have no marks. My marks only go up to 80. So this was a combination of luck and skill. So now I bring my, my sight down to 80 yards. Now I'm calculating about how much further I got to go to 100 yards. Because the further you go, the more your arrow is going to drop, yeah. right? Yeah. And I never shot past 80 yards before, you know? So now I go and I bring it to where I think 100 yards would be, Okay. Now I go, okay, I got to go another 20 yards. So I move it down further to where I'm praying that's going to be it, okay? All right, so now I'm on a shooting line. I draw back. I squeeze my trigger. The shot goes off real good. And it was so far away that I couldn't hear no impact. And Bob, he had a spotting scope behind the shooting line. All I wanted to do was hit the darn thing, okay? Because I didn't want to lose that arrow. Right. So after I shot, I go, Bob, did I hit the target? He goes to me, Bernie, you hit the orange dot. <laughs> I go, seriously, no, really, Bob. <laughs> All kidding aside, did I hit the darn target? He goes, Bernie, I'm not kidding you. You hit the orange dot. I said, get out of here. He goes, come take a look. I look at the uh, through the spotting scope. The orange dot, I hit. I just hit the edge of it. It was in the lower right-hand corner in the 10 ring. I hit the orange dot. Everybody now is asking me, Bernie, what did you shoot it for? What distance? I'm not going to tell them, you know. Yeah, and, of yeah. course, I wound, up, I wound up winning. I didn't take the money. I gave all of it to the Boy Scouts, okay? And then afterwards, everybody, what was the distance? Bob goes, that was 125 yards, and I calculated it to be about 120. It was 125, but me getting that pin sight to where it needed to be, that's the, the best shot that I ever took with my bow. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. That, that's yeah. tough. That's tough shooting without a uh, any kind of range finder or anything like that. 
So that's impressive, especially, oh, yeah. especially, especially that distance. You know, if I would have had marks out to that distance, that would have been no big deal. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. As long as you get a good shot on Because at 80 yards, I was able to, you know, the bullseye is five and a quarter inches in diameter, and I could pack five arrows in at 80 yards, no problem. Mm-hmm. But when you're shooting at a, at a much further distance and you, and you don't have marks for that, man, oh, man. No, that's but, awesome. Uh, yeah, that was the best shot I ever took with my bow. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, well, Bernie, I appreciate you coming on here, man, and and kind of telling everybody about the the organization and everything that y'all do. And um, if you can just remind everybody uh, where they can go to donate and what they can do to uh, help out. Sure. Well, first, let me thank you for having me on the show. I really sincerely appreciate it, and Absolutely. our veterans definitely appreciate it. Absolutely. And for those people who want to. Know more about our organization. Um, our website is whhc.org. O-R-G. W-H-H-C.org. And it tells you all about us. It shows you our past events. There's photographs on there uh, where you can donate. Also, if you have any questions, you can co- contact us. And every penny helps. Whatever you feel you want to do would be tremendous. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure uh, definitely the veterans appreciate that, especially getting to do what they love to do um, and uh, expense paid for trip for their uh, for their sacrifice and, and what they did for the red, white, and blue. So um, hopefully one day, one of these days we'll get to all meet up together and hang out and maybe take some veterans hunting and uh that would be awesome so okay great thank great. you and i still do hunt so if you got something i'll go on it <laughs> that sounds good yeah that would be awesome we'd love to have you um i'd, I'd love to just sit sit around and listen to your stories so yeah we'll wrap this up uh bernie i appreciate you man and um we'll even look at uh, getting you back on here soon and uh maybe t- talking some more uh, about the wounded heroes hunting camp and then listen to some more of your stories sounds wonderful once again thank you for having us on i we sincerely appreciate it absolutely man absolutely anytime so all right, guys, uh, if y'all want to follow us on uh, Instagram, an official four of a kind, and then also you can uh, find in there as well the uh, blue link that will send you to Wounded Heroes Hunting Camp. You can make a donation there, um, help out what they've got going on, and, um, yeah, we will see you on the next episode.
because I, I relate them a lot to like uh, playing golf. I mean, it's a lot of a lot of the kind of you get you get twenty targets. You know, golf's eighteen holes. It's kind of the same in in a sense. Uh, you know, as far as the uh, mental game and everything like that. But uh, oh yeah, yeah, it, it's it's definitely a good time to to sit back and test your skills with a with a compound bow. Yeah, 